may be seated. Today we continue our journey through this middle part of 1 Corinthians uh, as we are in chapter 7. And I invite you to hear these words from verses 25 through 35 together. Paul writes, I don't have a command from the Lord about people who have never been married, but I'll give you my opinion as someone who you can trust because of the Lord's mercy. So I think this advice is good because of the present crisis. Stay as you are. If you're married, don't get a divorce. If you're divorced, don't try to find a spouse. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if someone who hasn't been married gets married, they haven't sinned. But married people will have a hard time, and I'm trying to spare you that. This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, the time is drawn short. From now on, those who have wives should be like people who don't have them. Those who are sad should be like people who aren't crying. Those who are happy should be like people who aren't happy. Those who buy something should be like those who don't have possessions. Those who use the world should be like people who aren't preoccupied with it because this world in its present form is passing away. I want you to be free from concerns. A man who isn't married is concerned about the Lord's concerns, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the world's concerns, how he can please his wife. His attention is divided. A woman who isn't married or who is a virgin is concerned about the Lord's concerns so that she can be dedicated to God in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the world's concerns, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own advantage. It's not to restrict you, but rather to promote effective and consistent service to the Lord without distraction. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This week, a pastor colleague who's a friend of mine, we went to college together, uh, and and I mainly see what he's up to on Facebook. He shared his experiment that he's been doing about creating a dumb phone from his iPhone, right? And so here's the steps to making a dumb phone, and he shared what he had done. Step one was reformatting the format of his phone to only what came on it originally, which for many of us, we haven't done that for 10 years since we originally got one, and so so he took it back to only the apps that came on it. His step two was to remove apps like YouTube and even web browsers, and especially his work email that distract him. And then his step three was to add back apps that are for usability, but he didn't find distracting, like an app for music or for maps, uh, so he could know where he was going, because many of us today have no idea how to go anywhere uh, because of said device. And he said the effects on him, as he's reporting out kind of what's happening in his life with it, he said his attention span change has been huge. He said he hadn't been able to sit and read undistracted for but half an hour before, and the other day he had read for two to three hours straight without going to anything or looking up something because the phone wasn't right there. And he shared that he also, he's an introvert, so I don't understand him, but um, um, that he was able to have much more energy for relationships and people in his life because he found that the same draining energy he finds 
in his introversion with people. He was using on the phone even when videos were playing back at him and things like that. It was actually taking his energy. And so I've been reflecting on this experience all week, I think a touch jealous or convicted or something with it. But I find myself intrigued by his experiment and jealous about how he is untethered to this little mini computer that we have in our pocket that we've called a a smartphone. Now, you might wonder, that has nothing to do with what you just read, Reverend. So we're going to get there, right? What is Paul doing in this chapter today? Because you might be saying, listen, last week, really, like, you, you, you practically open up the new year talking about avoiding sexual immorality, and then, and then we get to this, this passage where Paul decides uh, to talk about marriage and singleness and all sorts of, like, what are you doing, fool? And I wonder the same thing myself. But um, in this passage, in chapter 7, Paul is opening his section where he's going to respond directly to the questions that the Corinthians have asked him. And in verse 1, he quotes them. He says, now about what you wrote. It's good for a man not to have sex with a woman. Now, pause, right? Paul is not saying that that's his stance on things. And we're going to get to that. Uh, The Corinthians wrote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. But the common English likes really spelling it out for us. so, So it says it like it is. But this was the Corinthian question at hand. They were asking, may Christians continue to consummate marriages, or is it more appropriate for people who have received the Holy Spirit to live celibate lives, right? And remember, these are the Corinthians' words. They are not Paul's. This section is not the general treatise that we should follow about how all Christians should believe about marriage or anything else. And after we read this section, the verses I read today, our first reaction might be, huh? What are you talking about, Paul? And, and, and our second one is, why does this matter today? Like, what, what, what is this about? How does this relate to my life? And what kind of things can we learn from it? See, Paul is delving into a specific issue by verse 25, and that is this. What should engaged members of the Christian community do? In verse 25, it says this, right? I don't have a command from the Lord about people who have never been married. Or in, in some versions, says, or about the virgins in the community, but I'll give you my opinion as someone you can trust because of the Lord's mercy. So, Paul in this section, he's going to follow the same logic he does in all of chapter 7 to stay as you are if you can. That's kind of what he offers. So, if you're married, stay married. If, if you're not married, uh, don't get married, right? And that, that, that's kind of his advice throughout the whole thing. But in a very unpaul-like way, he presents this as his opinion and not as a direct command from God. Paul rarely speaks in a way that doesn't sound like a direct command from God. So why should engaged people, according to Paul here, not bother getting married? And what are Paul's reasons for this? Paul's first reason is this. He expected Jesus to return any day. Any day. Verse 28. But married people will have a hard time, and I'm trying to spare you that, Paul says. Now, this isn't the time to shove your spouse next to you and say, see, they said we'd have a hard time. That's not that. This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. The time has drawn short. 
Paul is saying that if Jesus is going to return like any day now, which Paul's predictions didn't turn out apparently, right? I mean, we're here 2,000 years later. So if Jesus is going to return any day, the temporal, temporal matters are not important. Our whole focus should be on eternal things. He's saying don't invest yourself in the issues and affairs of the old age when the new age was starting soon, right? About 12 years ago, I went to get my wife a Christmas present, and I, and I, went, I went to Best Buy, and they had the Harry Potter DVDs on sale for like $3.99 a piece, okay? And we like Harry Potter in our house, so I was like, this will be a great gift. Do you want to know what has happened to those DVDs? They're still sitting shrink-wrapped, okay? Because first of all, like, we forgot how to use a DVD player in that meantime. It's become like a cassette tape or an eight-track along the way, right? A bunch of us have DVD collections that just sit there along with the VHS collections that are in the attic or something like that, right? But, but the fact is, is that I was purchasing something for the old age, and the new age had already come. It's illogical, Paul is saying, to make a long-term commitment like marriage if you ain't going to have a long-term Right? And Paul's saying, Jesus coming back. Don't bother with all that. That's what he's saying in this text. The second thing is Paul, Paul also believed that marriage could distract, in this case, from service to the Lord. Paul's essentially saying when we are married, we have more concerns than just ourselves. So those of you who are married and have children, do you remember the first time that you traveled somewhere alone without them? Right? If you've ever done that, I, I was part of a leadership program about five years ago, and, and, and I went away like every three months for a few days. And, and some people, they travel for their job all the time, so that's commonplace. But this is my first time really going anywhere without my wife and my two children. And, and I remember, I was like, how am I getting ready so fast? And I can, like, I could do so many things in the morning in such a quick time. And then I would feel like the whole, like when I'd be getting, I was like, what am I forgetting? Like, like, cause I don't have three different bags going on and everything like that. And I swear I need to, I need to get snacks, don't I? Like, and, and, and water bottles and these, and I didn't need any of it. I just went and I, and I got there on time and it was so crazy. Verse 32, Paul says, I want you to be free from concerns. A man who isn't married is concerned about the Lord's concerns, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the world's concerns, how he can please his wife or remember the snacks for the kids. His attention is divided, Paul says. When I make plans today, in fact, if you, if you see me right after worship and in the line you say, Pastor, I'd love to get together with you this week. What's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to pull out the device that I was talking about cursedly to begin this conversation, right? And I'm going to, I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to say, well, let me check my schedule and see what times are. And then, and then, and then most of you will say, yeah, that makes sense. And some of you will be like, but isn't your job to be? And I'm like, but you've got to understand, i got to do this. And i got, I got to look at my wife's schedule, too, and make sure that doesn't collide. And even when we schedule committee meetings here, and we're scheduling between our two churches, and I'm thinking about all the other things that are going on, I'm grateful that my wife and I can see each other's Google Calendar, right? It's the only way, probably, that I'm still married today. But I have more concerns than just myself when you come to me to, to, to plan a meeting. I'm not really looking at my schedule. I'm looking at everything else that is going on in the given week. 
This is what Paul is saying. Sometimes a married person's attention is divided because a married person is called to look out for the best interests of their partner. Simple as that. Like, that's true. But Paul thought that not to marry in this age where he expected Jesus' return at any time was a freedom for mission. Why did he think that? Because Paul believed that the present crisis that was, that was upon them was not this particular problem striking the Christian community at Corinth at this time. No, the present crisis was that Jesus is returning soon. So in verse 35, Paul says, I'm saying this to you for your own advantage. It's not to restrict you, but rather it's to promote effective and consistent service to the Lord without distraction. In other words, Paul's saying, so the Christians needed to be proclaiming the good news with everything they had and with no distractions. If Jesus is coming back next week, probably doesn't make sense for you to get married, he's saying to the engaged people. Perhaps, perhaps the specific directions about remaining single or getting married are not relevant to you today. But what about this question? What distracts you in your relationship with God. My story of the dumb phone at the beginning is a prime example of something that distracts many of us. Now, it's easy to throw stones here. If you're not someone, you know, if you're like, oh, it's those kids today who are addicted to their phones or everything like this. But we all have something, something that distracts us. And Paul's call to prioritize Jesus' return first and foremost in our lives still holds true. That shines through, no matter what happens elsewise in the text. But so what? What's the point? I mean, why, why talk about this if it doesn't, if Paul's not giving instructions that we completely have to follow today, what in the world are we talking about? The first thing I think that is this. Singleness and celibacy is a valuable and dignified way to live. We need to stop trying to set up single people all the time and instead affirm their God-given singleness and giftedness and who they are as they are. Friends, singleness is a gift to the community. It does not have to mean, it does not have to mean that someone is less than or that they would only be better if they were with someone. That's just not how life works. It's not how the Christian community is set up to be. The second thing I think we need to think about is that we need discernment and reflection in our own lives as it relates to our love lives. I look back and I have a lot of, I have this stack of prayer journals from my high school and college days. And I'll be honest, they look a lot more like dear diary entries than I perhaps would admit than prayer journals. But they were also my earnest attempts to submit this part of my life with all of its desires to God. Part of our discernment of marriage and considering it as Christian people should be this. We would do more for the kingdom of God together than we would apart. We need a discernment of marriage as we are considering entering it as Christian people that says, you know what? Part of, I mean, yeah, I'm in love with you and you're cute and all that kind of stuff, right? That's all there. But, but the other part of it needs to be like a multiplier effect. I think that we could do more together for God's kingdom than we can apart. That might sound to you like a really weird calculation about marriage. But that's what Paul, I think his instructions can instruct us in today. 
is this idea that we should submit every part of our lives to God. That's what I mean today when I'm saying he's Lord of my love life. You might have seen that title and be like, what the heck are you talking about? I know Derek, when he was playing the songs, was like, what the heck is he talking about? Um, and, and, but the reality is this, right? The challenge for us living as Christians today is that our relationship with God is indeed important to us. Y'all, you're here, you're sitting here, you're tuning in with us. It is important for you. But it is one priority among many priorities in all of our lives. And those things all are vying for our attention. And my question, using Paul as a guide today, is this. What do you need to do to make Jesus Lord of your entire life? Let's pray. Lord, when we read these words at first glance, we don't always know what to do with them. And so we're grateful for the opportunity to think together about them. And Lord, we admit that we live in a culture that A, is, is sex crazed, and that B, uh, is constantly throwing distractions at us to grab for our attention. And sometimes those distractions look like things that should be helpful for us, ways to be efficient and to, um, and to be able to speed up our lives. And yet in that speeding up, God, we find ourselves just in a constant state of either anxiety or feeling like we can't catch up. And when we feel like that, we're not very good at being all that you have called us to be and communing with you. So Lord, I pray that in the midst, in the midst of that life we're living and in the midst of this space here today, you would help us. Help us to open up ourselves and to discern with your Holy Spirit's guidance what it is that distracts us. Where are those areas, Lord, where we need to submit once again to you? And God, I pray that you would help each of us in whatever state we are in, be it single, be it divorcee, be it widow, be it, be it married, be it engaged. Help us in whatever stage we are in to prioritize following you with everything we are. Not that we would follow Paul's advice, to stay in whatever place we're in, but instead in whatever place we're in that we would devote ourselves to your work and to your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.